Today's episode is brought to you by 27 North Paddles. Good friends with Mike and Phil over there at 27 North, and I'm stoked to announce that they are giving a 20% discount to fans of the PaddleWoo podcast. So these are the paddles that I use. I was given one by Fisher Grant almost a year ago now, uh, and fell in love with it. It was a Kevlar model, and then I went bounced to the Inegra model, and now I've landed back on the Kevlar. Kind of a long story there, but uh, I like the Kevlars because they're stiffer, and in bigger surf, you need to be able to lean on your paddle a little bit more, and so that's where I opt for the Kevlar. Now, I do still use the Inegra model uh, more in smaller surf, or if I surf in just an absolute ton and I start feeling a little tendonitis there in the shoulders or in the elbows, then I bounce to the Inegra because it gives you a little bit more cushioning. So head on over to 27northusa.com. That's 27northusa.com and use the promo code PADDLEWOO, P-A-D-D-L-E-W-O-O for a 20% discount off of my favorite paddles. It's the PADDLEWOO Podcast. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Paddle Woo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. Today's guest on the show is the man behind the Stand Up Journal. He is the founder, editor, and publisher of Stand Up Journal. And today he comes on the show to share with us his insight into the sport, having watched the evolution of stand up for a decade. That's Clay Feeder. So we're very excited to have Clay Feeder on the show today. Uh, we dive into the pioneers of the sport. Trends he's seen and accurately predicted, this one's pretty cool, where the sport is headed and who is going to carry the torch. So stay tuned for that. I'd like to take this opportunity first, though, to welcome the new fans of the show. It looks like, in checking out the numbers here, that we've seen a little bump in listeners. And it looks like that is due to uh, the reach of the Connor Baxter episode where he talks paddle techniques and then just how fun the Jaws episode was and that one went pretty big on the inertia uh, and then also on stand-up journal and so it looks like then folks have gone back and started listening to some of the older episodes some of the first ones and actually I've received some emails from listeners new listeners who are asking for maybe some more technical discussion and that's a lot of that's a lot of meat that we covered in the beginning of the show. So if you go back to the first episodes, which I'll recount here a little bit, we're going to be exploring more technical board paddle size, um, foot placement, all of that. And, and so there was a lot of discovery that happened at the beginning of the show. And now we're more into storytelling here where we are episode 20. This is episode 26. So um, let's go into some of these episodes. If you haven't listened to Connor and Zane's episode where they flipped the boat going out to Jaws, that is, there's a lot of lessons in the episode, and that's uh, two episodes ago. So check that one out. We started off the show at the very beginning with Pat Rawson. Pat came on, uh, you know, kind of the idea behind the show. I, I was a huge fan of, of stand-up, uh, and I had spent two years dedicated to watching all the videos, trying to, to kind of jumpstart that learning curve and get as far along as I could. But you got to a place where, there wasn't information out there for the kind of tip of the spear of what these guys were doing. And so I figured that the best way to explore that was to start to talk to some of these folks. And that's kind of how the idea of the podcast started. And the first guest on the show is Pat Rawson. And the reason that I wanted to talk to Pat at the beginning is that Pat, in my mind, is there's a couple guys, but he is the 
most experienced acclaimed shaper shaping stand-up paddle boards now. And so Pat shapes Mo Freitas's boards, who is, I believe, going to carry the torch uh, for the sport in the future, which I've said going back to episode probably four here. Uh, and so I wanted to get an idea of Pat's idea on design and where he thought the sport was headed and, and kind of his thoughts on Mo. And so that's how the show started. So if you haven't listened to the Pat Rawson episode, and Pat's a guy who shaped boards for Curran, Carol, everybody. Uh, and so his insight into technicality of board design is pretty incredible. And also his history in the sport, that's a good listen. Uh, a, kind of an outlier episode and our most popular episode is episode five, who features uh, features movement genius Eric Goodman. Eric's a good buddy of mine. I met him probably seven or eight years ago now down here in uh, in Costa Rica. We had a mutual friend. Our friend is the uh, Karen, who produced, published his book. And he came on the show and discusses the proper paddle uh, body position. And insofar as being able to paddle for longevity and structural uh, strength. And so what Eric is an expert, if, if you check out foundationtraining.com, Eric has trained everyone from Kelly Slater to the Lakers to Jeff Bridges, the actor. He now just goes around the country. He bought a Winnebago and goes around the country and teaches foundation training. Um, and we might be putting something together next year to do a surf uh, and and learn from Eric Goodman down here in Costa Rica, which would be really fun. And we've talked about that a couple of times now. I hope it happens. But uh, listen to that episode because even if you don't paddle and you just happen to cross this podcast, uh, it is incredible lessons and philosophy for movement, for body movement. And it will make you a happier, healthier person in the future. So check that one out for sure. That's episode five. Uh, if you don't know who Justin Holland is, Justin's episodes, he's had two now. The first one, you get to know who Justin is, the frother. Uh, he is an amazing personality in our sport. And so you listen to the first one, so you get to know who Justin is, but then listen to the second one because Justin last year caught the biggest wave ever ridden in Australia, according to some folks, towed in by Jamie Mitchell, his good friend. They grew up together. Uh, gets to the bottom of the wave, lip lands right behind him, blows up, shatters his femur. And his second episode, he comes on the show and gives us the whole story of what happened. It's over an hour, and you don't know if you're feeling bad for him or if you're just laughing the whole time, but it's an amazing lesson. And I get a lot of emails to this day about how fun that episode is. Uh, if you haven't listened to Mo Freitas' episode... You've got to do that. Mo, uh, it's the most consistently downloaded episode to this day. I mean, there's n so many people I think are finding out about Mo from the Payette River Games or the Pacific Paddle Games or just what he's doing at Jaws this week. And then they're going back and they want to know more about him. And so they're listening to his episode. Um, so go back and do that if you, haven't, if you haven't listened to Mo. And I got to spend a couple of weeks with Mo down here in Costa Rica. And the kid is an incredible athlete. Um, it's really amazing to watch how he paddles, how he approaches surfing. Um, and I'm really excited about the progression project, the movie that's going to be coming out here soon. It's moving ahead. We're probably about two months away from it right now, dealing with some music stuff. Um, but that's going to be amazing. Mo shines in that, as do uh, as, uh, all the other guys. Um, you know, Giorgio was here for that project. He's been on the show. That's a great episode. Giorgio gets very real about the state of the industry and what the guys are riding on tour and the differences in production boards and custom boards. So if you haven't listened to the Giorgio episode, you should do that. 
Um, so there's a lot of meat there. If you haven't gone to the back catalog, one of the things that I love about podcasts and about long form content is its relevance. So I was actually Juan from the inertia, one of the editors, of the inertia is here right now. And we were having this conversation over dinner the other night. And we live in this culture now where everything is Instagram and Facebook and you post your picture up and people like it for 10 hours possibly. And then it's gone and you don't really ever think about it again. Maybe someone will go back and look through your catalog of photos. But, and there's not a lot of value in that. But the difference in a podcast and what I love about it so much is that we have now about 30 hours of on-the-record discussion with the best and brightest in our sport. And that information is just as relevant and valuable today as it was eight months ago when we recorded it at the beginning. So just because you're finding the show now doesn't mean that the episodes before have lost any of their value. The sport hasn't changed that much in eight months. So if you're getting into it now, go back and check it all out and send me an email. Let me know what you like. Let me know what we could do better in the future um, because uh, this is a passion project and it's for fun. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, all right. That was a long intro. Um, Let's get on with the show. We've got Clay Feeder on the show today. He is the man behind the stand-up journal. You're going to love what he has to say and his insights. Uh, so let's get on it. Thank you guys for tuning in. We always appreciate it. Clay Feeder, thank you very much for being on the Padawoo podcast. How are you today? Well, I'm feeling warm now that I'm talking to you, Eric. It's about two degrees here with the chill factor in Maine. Where in Maine are you? Uh, right on the coast, over the border from New Hampshire, from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And so, how long do you surf? What are your What are your water months up there? Well, this time of year, two hours is a pretty good session. Uh, it's not unlike cross country skiing, really, unless the waves are bigger and then you get rolled more, and you tend to, you know, get a little bit of trickle of thirty eight degree water down your back. That tends to bring you in a, a little sooner. So you're still in the water now. If there's a good wave, you're out there. Yeah. It's, That's insane. Uh, you know, it's preferable to be under head high because if it gets more consistent and bigger, then you're going to be punching through waves. And as you know, no matter how good a wetsuit you are, you have, you're going to, you're going to get rinsed a little bit and you're going to get some of that water down your, down your suit. So uh, if it's not, you know, it's, if it's, if it's, you know, head high or waist high and really clean, uh, it doesn't really matter if it's 28 degrees because the only thing showing is our nose and our mouth. So pretty much 5 mil to 7 mil the rest of the way. But this is a great time of year to get a lot of work done, planning the next two or three issues in advance. There you go. Yeah, that's probably what I would do. Um, all right, well, let's start with your history. I know that you have a windsurfing background and had a magazine in the windsurfing space, and then the transition to stand-up paddle happened almost 10 years ago now. So fill us in on your history. Well, it actually started more surfing. I mean, I uh, I started surfing in 69. Uh, Mom and Dad moved my twin brother and I and my two sisters from Colorado, where Kurt and I had just been at Boy Scout camp the summer before, and they had the first ever television debut of Endless Summer. And so we got to see that, huddled around this little tiny black and white TV at Boy Scout camp with about 50 of our best Boy Scout friends and, and leaders and stuff. And uh, that was our first turn on to surfing in endless summer. And we moved, uh, my dad got a job in California, so we moved to Southern Cal to Escondido and convinced mom and dad to buy my twin brother Kurt and I um, longboards 
uh, longboarding had, quote, died in 69, 70. So we were able to get some really killer clean, like 10-6 Dewey Weber hatchet fin killer longboards today. We would look at them and probably be worth I don't know how much. Anyway, we got those for 25 bucks in 1969, and that started our surfing career. Uh, we surfed all the places that are now the most popular stand-up spots, Cardiff Reef, uh, that whole area, um, San Alejo, and we'd go to Oceanside and places like that. And um, so that really is how it started. Uh, of course, reading John Severson's Surfer Magazine, and uh, then we moved to Northern California to the Bay Area and started surfing in Santa Cruz during high school. Uh, so it started off as a passion of surfing. Yeah, the, the, the surf stoke is really what embodies the whole thing, and it, and it, and it also carried into uh, windsurfing. Uh, when we got in, we, I say, I'm a, when you're a twin, you say we a lot, you know, because we're a minute apart. My best friend, my bro, Kurt, uh, who's at Scorpion Bay right now, the dog, uh, he's been in Baja for the past three weeks uh, racing and, and, and riding waves on either side of the uh, tip. And now he's in Scorpion Bay this week, uh, catching hopefully some of those leftover uh, feelers coming through. And this west swell should be getting in there that California's about to, to score um, down at, you know, two-thirds of the way down at Scorpion Bay. But, yeah, surfing is really – it's all really about surfing, although I have to say all the time that I, um, that I uh, shortboard surfed, I also had longboards, and I really got into longboarding when the conditions were right for that. And same thing in uh, windsurfing. Uh, as much as uh, I started my windsurfing magazine, Wind Tracks, um, in 84 and ran that for 15 years uh, in Santa Cruz, where surfing was the whole focus of, of wave sailing. Although I still, and many of my friends, we still had longboards. We still did lots of long-distance uh, trips. I mean, I, I windsurfed uh, across the Monterey Bay, um, up the coast for many miles and the, in, the, in the San Francisco Bay and places like that. Um, but the focus was always around the ocean and, and the waves. And that's what took me up to Oregon, uh, uh, finished out my, my uh, last eight or so years of publishing the windsurfing magazine up there. And then I sold the magazine uh, as windsurfing was sort of fading out and there wasn't much support uh, advertising-wise. Um, got a great job in uh, New England and uh, met a wonderful woman that is, made me want to stay here, Joyce Villadeu, who's our co-publisher and does all the logistics for the magazine. And uh, that's where we sort of accidentally became the first stand-up paddling mag in the world. Tell us the story about that, how that came to be. Well, i got to thank Robbie Nash and, and John Denny. Um, John first. Uh, uh, John was one of our very first advertisers. I, I, um, I had just, got, I just met Joyce, and the day after I met her in, in uh, God, 2006, December, first day of December, that's handy because I can remember my, our anniversary of our first date. First day of December 2006, I met Joyce, had a great date. The next day, the entire division uh, department of the audiobook company that I was the sales director for was axed because everything had gone over to digital, and we were no longer actually selling CD audiobooks, so they didn't really need our team as much. 
which taught me a lesson that we need to be very strong with our social media and our digital stuff, which is why we have Adam Champagne, who you had a great interview with a few months ago, and who will be there surfing with you tomorrow if he gets through the snowstorm. Hopefully he but, can get uh, here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll be, he'll be there, believe me. He's looking, looking forward to this. He's been way overdue for a vacation. He does all of our layout, all of our digital stuff, all of our Facebook and social media. So um, it's a well-deserved vacation. Yeah. But that's how um, I learned, having been hacked uh, uh, with the, uh, because of the digital downloads for audio boats with a company I worked for, a great company in Oregon. Um, uh, we've been very strong in keeping the digital side of Stand Up Journal as vibrant as the indelible printed magazine side. And um, it, it has been really important to have a printed magazine. Uh, I think um, I think if you just have a web property, it just it feels different. You don't have the representation, the printed representation of it. So um, anyway, I moved to New England, and uh, and uh, Joyce and I got together, and and I lost my job immediately, and that of course made a great impression on her. <laughs> but I got a great job immediately. I, I went and scored a, a really great job working for a uh, a company. Um, Doing uh, sales for a uh, a uh, gosh a, a digital reader board type you know the big giant marquee LCD light company. Of course, I love that. I lasted, I lasted one month, and I came home one day and said, "Dave, I'm I'm going to start my windsurfing and water sports mag again." She sat me on the couch. She freaked out because she's run her own business before. She knows how hard it is. So we ended up uh, saying, "Okay, we'll give it a year." And so that's always a good challenge. I called my best friend, Glenn Dubach, who he and I worked ever in the windsurfing magazine world. And uh, I told him about it, and he took a big gulp. And, of course, Glenn always is there to say, you can do it, you know? And, of course, he's still thinking, okay, stand-up paddling. Now, that's that, that sport where people stand on boards, right? It's, remember, there were, I honestly found seven stand-up photos doing internet searches the week we started stand-up journal seven there were no photos to be had because there was nobody doing it and there was nobody photographing it today we have probably eight thousand top tier images in our photo files right now eric wow the scale of yeah that's it's pretty been cool. uh, it's amazing. Uh, I literally, thanks to Glenn's brother, John Dubog, he emailed me and said, hey, have you tried Flickr? F-L-Y-C-K-R, fabulous photo uh, sort of repository around the world. By going with Flickr, I was able to find those six or seven photos. Otherwise, we had a few shots from Tom Survey, my buddy I've known forever, a fabulous legendary photographer from San Clemente. He's there right now at, at, at Jaws shooting along with, Beck Hudlin, Dan Merkel, AJ Messier, I mean, all these guys, Richard Hallman, these guys are all there right now uh, caching. And there's more coming. There's more big 13 to 15 foot, 20 plus second interval swells about to hit again uh, on whole Hawaiian Islands. So, so, we so have Clay, how, stuff coming in. how were you first exposed to the sport? Where did you first see stand up? When did you fall in love with it? Um, well, I think it was, gosh. That's a good question. I know there was a fabulous, as always, photo in Surfer's Journal of Laird at Chopu, and he was, had his, he was slipping back a little bit, and he caught himself 
taking the photo on Surfers Journal, a two-page spread, and Pesman and the crew at Surfers Journal, they did what we always aspire to do, and that is to not write a fluff caption. If we ever write a fluff caption to shoot us and wrap us in bacon and, and toast us, the caption said, Laird Hamilton filleting the lip at Chopu. And I love that caption because he was literally slicing the lip with his the edge of his blade. And um, that really caught my attention. And that was one of the first uh, stand-up photos. I think that was about 2005 or six, just when we were starting Stand-Up Journal. At and this point, were you already that, surfing on a stand-up? Uh, yeah. I had, I had bought a uh, – I bought – actually – I bought a used um, windsurf board here in New Hampshire, and I bought a uh, an old, uh, new at the time, uh, Laird. Uh, the only available uh, stand-up paddles here in New England were at Dave Cropper's um, uh, and uh, Mark Anastas's Cinnamon Rainbows and Liquid Dreams on the Maine and New Hampshire coast. And I bought uh, the fiberglass Laird paddle. Of course, the, the blade size is way bigger than anybody would use today. And as you know, it was what, uh, eight inches over our heads, nine inches over our heads, just ridiculous length. But that's what we did in those days um, for surfing. And uh, it was very cumbersome and very bulky. And uh, that's when I started the magazine. And I sent out an email to everybody uh, that I had even been able to find were involved with stand-up paddling industry. John Denny, immediately had just moved good buddy of Laird's road. I mean, big, big wave rider, John Denny, uh, was out there that huge day at outer, outer Sprex, uh, about nine, eight years ago when, um, when he and Laird and, and when Brett Lickle cut his, uh, artery and they were able to save his life by Laird stripping down his spring suit and making a tourniquet out of it to save his good buddy, uh, Brett Lickle. Um, uh, John was out there. Well, he and uh, Barry, his wife, had just moved with the kids back to Florida, and they started uh, Jupiter paddle surfing, and John was advertising. And one day I was talking with him, and he, he had already decided he wanted to advertise, but when he saw the new issue and he saw that there was a bunch of windsurfing and surfing and Santa paddling in the first edition that came out March of 2008, he called me and he said, Clay, I'm not sure – that I want to be part of a magazine that includes windsurfing, a sport that people perceive as dying, combined with the sport that people see as exploding. And it's going to explain. He was assuring me this is stand-up is going to go big. Of course, at that time, it's easy to look back and say, well, of course. But remember, it's almost like Abraham Lincoln in 1860 trying to determine if the Civil War was going to be successful. <laughs> Nobody knew stand-up paddling was going to do what it's done already as we approach 10 years. Well, John really, really drilled home the fact that we need to focus on stand-up and not so much on, say, surfing. We had some cutting. We had someone surfing. At that point, and then the next trade show, Robbie Nash just gave me his look with his hat on semi-sideways, and our magazine was called, for the first year, it was called Surf and Sail Across the Top and Stand Up Journal Across the, the Page or the Cover. Robbie took his finger, his thumb, and he put it over the top little line that said Surf and Sail, 
to where I could I could only see the word stand-up journal. And he said to me, he looks at me and he goes, why don't you just cut to the chase and get rid of this and just make it a stand-up journal? <laughs> so that, <laughs> that was, and Drew Campion, who I worked with for uh, years at Windsor Band, he worked for me at Winfrax Magazine. Uh, my my idol, I just Drew is just the epitome of the, ulti- the ultimate surf journalist. He said the same thing about the same time. He said, you need to really cut to just stand-up journal. And Drew's always right. He has a wicked intuition about this sort of thing. And plus, we were all into it. You know, my brother was not drinking the Kool-Aid yet. Uh, it's funny because Glenn DuBois' brother, John, was not drinking the Kool-Aid yet. And suddenly, heck, I mean, honestly, I mean, a lot of companies, a lot of people weren't. Uh, this was 2007. And uh, I went to the trade show, Surf Expo. There were maybe four stand-up boards in the entire show in the September 2007 Surf Expo in Orlando. Um, Hobie, uh, Surf Tech, and uh, one of the custom shapers on the East Coast had one big bulbous uh, board in the back of his surfboard booth. And uh, that's how it started. And it's just been really uh, touchy-feely to just kind of uh, go with it issue to issue since then. You just touched on the Surf Expo there, and I know that January event just happened. Were you there at the January event? Yeah, you bet. We've been to every single one, giving out mags. Right on. Let's talk about the trends in the sport over time, because Dave Bainey and I talked about uh, this at length, and some of it didn't make the final show because we had to record twice because we got lost in <laughs> basically this conversation yeah. and another one, which was it was great. Uh, but we we were chatting about the fact that the sport has gone through it went through this incredible fad hype phase um, probably a couple years ago, and now it's kind of settling out into a core group of loyal fans of the sport, whatever variation of the sport people do. How do you see that, having the magazine and seeing where advertising dollars come in? Um, what, what trends have you seen? Well, having just come from the Surf Expo, Eric, uh, first off, i got to say, I predicted, gosh, seven or eight years ago, I told everybody that was listening that eight years from now, actually, I said five years, uh, I said five years from now, 85% of the sport will be flat water and non-surf. I don't mean, in other words, rivers, yoga, although I didn't really know yoga was going to get as big as it did, uh, fishing. In other words, only 15%, 1-5% of our entire global sport to back up with a wide-angle lens and look at it would be surf-oriented, you know, sub-activity. Um and that's really what has transpired. And, you know, I'm an idiot savant. I have no idea how I thought that, but that's that's almost exactly what the ratio is. Now, those 15% of us that are completely saltwater dogs and surf soaked, uh, I think we tend to make it look like 50%, 50% of our sport is in the surf. You know, and to answer your question, um, that part of the sport is right up there with, with you know, uh, river running as well is, is the dynamic part. And 
we have uh, being a surfer forever. I, uh, you know, it's hard. I had to back off. And John Dubois always gives me a hard time about, you know, which grinding left from Tahiti are we going to see this issue? Because you know the guys in Tahiti are pushing it and they're uh, they're really uh, making it work. But the reality is that 85% of our sport is, and I saw this more than ever at the trade show just last weekend, uh, is the enthusiasts. Uh, many of whom might have inflatables, and that's more in Europe, of course, and places where it's cramped. And but uh, the sport is still booming. It's we saw so many new companies and so many new faces at the show that we've never seen before. Uh, and like you said, there's still. So what's happened is you got a tip of the iceberg, and that is, as you mentioned, Eric. The core guys that got into it, you know, four, six, eight years ago and got completely hooked, and they're leading the way. Many of them are involved with uh, with advertisers of ours, and I have to brag about those advertisers. They identify pros many times before before we will in many cases. So they've got, they've got the feelers out. They know what's hot. They've been around the, the, the rodeo for a long time. They, they know who's got the charisma and who's got the talent. Um, you know, in, in Kai Lenny's case, of course, Nash identified Kai Lenny immediately because of his uh, background in surfing and, and, um, in windsurfing and, and kiting. And, uh, so, you know, we have to really thank the industry people, whether they advertise with us or, or, or just the fact that they're in the industry, they play such a huge role in identifying our present and future heroes. And then we, we like to think that we, we, we pick up a few, too. I mean, Locke Eckers has been with us since day one. Uh, going back to the old days, Locke was one of the original uh, top four guys, top three, really, uh, that started stand-up on Maui, which, you know, we really can stand a lot of this, too, uh, that that day. And actually, last time I talked to Lair, we had breakfast with Laird at the trade show before last in Orlando, uh, Laird mentioned, he goes, you know, that day in 1995 that we look at as the first day, he goes, you know, we were doing it before then. We'd been out on tandem boards with funky little, you know, outrigger paddles. So it really, even though we identify 1995 as the, the sort of aha moment of modern stand-up paddling, you know, Laird reminded Steve Sugarroot, our co-founder and I, that, um, you know, we really, Laird was actually doing it before that. He was playing around with, you know, flat days on a, uh, an old tandem board. Um, but, you know, the sport really didn't happen until 2007. That's when I think we really identify it as, as coming out and becoming more popular. And who are those pioneers? Obviously, everyone knows Laird, knows Dave Kalama, but who are the other guys well, really that don't get the same? The surfers. It goes back to the surfers. You know, that's, it's, it's funny how uh, this all comes around to surfers. And, and even guys like Charlie uh, MacArthur, who, who is a major uh, pioneer in Colorado, one of the, the original guys in Colorado, uh, r- river running, uh, you know, he, he, his father was uh, Dano on uh, Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> and uh, he lived in Hawaii, of course, while they were filming Hawaii Five-0. And uh, the old one, back in the old days. And Charlie is, what, 44 now, roughly? And uh, he's got a family, and he's living in Colorado. And he was one of the original pioneers 
uh, he and uh, Todd Bradley from Oahu, C4, uh, they connected and started thinking, well, you know, we're surfers, and now uh, Charlie's living in Colorado. How do I, how do I adapt this? I, I, nobody's standing up on the river, you know, for more than two seconds on a canoe, maybe. But Charlie was pushing it, and he, of course, guys like Ken Hovey and so many of these other guys came in and joined him, and and helped lead that area. So it really does come down to surfers. Uh, Laird, of course, Dave, Kalama. Now, um, uh, Lock Eggers was right there. Dave was really into outrigger canoeing, that Genesis period from 95 through about, you know, 2003, 4, 5. Um, and then he really started drinking the Kool-Aid, and Dave got fully into it and now has his own line of boards with Imagine and, and is really, uh, you know, jetted ahead with that. Uh, designing his own paddles. He's got a, actually a, a line of paddles with a uh, quick blade. Um, but you had Lock Eckers slip in there right after uh, Laird and Dave went out on that day in 95 at Kihei and um, at the mud flats there. And then uh, Dave wasn't so into it, but Lock, an old windsurfer, old waterman, old OC1 paddler from Oahu, a uh, good buddy of Daryl Wong's and moved over like so many of the guys from Oahu moved over to Maui uh, in the 80s, 90s, uh, windsurfing, surfing, the whole bit. Uh, Locke's character. He will not, he he doesn't give you any slack. He'll tell you how he sees it. And uh, he's been watching it closely. In fact, uh, Stand Up Paddle Mag has an interview with him. I'm looking forward to reading that uh, in their new issue. Uh, we've, we've covered Locke and he's done a lot of stuff for us over the years. It is super insightful about uh, the days that go out and try stuff and it would break. And um, so he's he's one of the guys. Uh, Archie Kalapa was there as well, waterman, lifeguard, a uh, real legend uh, on Maui. Uh, and then over Brian Kailana, uh, Dave Parmanner, Todd Bradley, you know, they all got together uh, with the C4 crew. Uh, uh, Blaine Chambers, you know, fabulous shaper, uh, real uh, real learn as I go, uh, let's try this, and then immediately go uh, try another design. And uh, Blaine actually had the lion's share of the top riders on the North Shore when he first uh, evolved uh, around 2006, 7, 8, 9, uh, Paddle Surf Hawaii. And um, so, you know, it, these guys all stem from surfing. And, of course, Blaine and G4 and everybody else, uh, Laird, they all evolved into they, – they all made sure they had big boards. They didn't, they didn't forget that you've got to have, got to have something that everybody can, can do. My mom and dad live on Molokai. They're 86 years old. My mom stands up paddles off their shore on Molokai because she has a board that's wide enough to do it, and she won't fall very much. So that's what we all learned from windsurfing, by the way, is we really screwed up in windsurfing. We were all young. We were all jacked up. We were in our 20s. We don't care if you can learn to windsurf or not. We can do it, and we do it on these little tiny boards and super high winds. But what we did was we cut out the chance for everybody to learn how to do it because we did not allow them to have big enough floating enough boards. Um. What moments over the last eight years do you think are most crucial for the sport and the momentum that it now has? I'm sure Laird has a few of them. What do you think of those moments that stand out that are really attention-grabbing? 
Well, you know, I have to, I mean, this is a, I'd have to think about this. I'm probably going to get this wrong, but here's my gut feeling. My gut feeling for the accelerated popularity, Eric, of this sport of stand-up paddling is that you've got guys like Laird, who's buddies with, you know, Eddie Vedder, um, and a number of other people that stand-up paddle. Um, the celebrities have gotten into this. That's that's cool, and that that's an, an extra bonus. Uh, you know, when I go to my dentist eight years ago, and as the hygienist has her hands in my mouth cleaning my teeth, she says, so what do you do for a living? And I tell them, and they go, oh, I saw Jennifer Aniston on that in People Magazine. Well, okay, thank you. Now I don't have to explain what it is. So, you know, you've been around for a while. Eight years ago, we had to tell everybody what this sport was. Now, I got my hair cut at Supercuts yesterday, and the woman that cut my hair probably doesn't get a lot of exercise, and yet she even told me that her sister stand-up paddles, and she wants to try it this summer. That's awesome. I can't say that they would want to surf because of the difficulty they definitely wouldn't want to windsurf. They probably wouldn't want to go kite surfing. But stand-up paddling, everybody can do it. And to answer your question, I think for no other the, – the, the popularity acceleration through a lot of exposure, and the celebrities had a lot to do with that. Eddie Vedder is one of my favorite, but there's you, – you name it. I mean, there's so many others as well think that that stereotype of Jennifer Aniston on the paddleboard or that anybody can do it, do you think that hurts the surfing side of stand-up in the lineup and its credibility for surfing? No, not not at all. I mean, it's, you know, you're a surfer. I'm a surfer. I, surfing has a way of calling out the, um, the, uh, the red meat, so to speak. I mean, it's, uh, if you want to be like Jennifer Aniston, you're probably going to do it in an estuary, a lake, a river, somewhere flat and mellow, and, and, and not, you know, Kanaha in the summertime, you know, before the wind comes up. Um, you're going to have uh, a good experience paddling, you're not going to fall in much. And uh, if you decide you want to become a surfer because you saw a great photo of a, of a guy or a woman riding a wave, well, that's great. There are places to do that. There's Cal's Beach in Santa Cruz, there's San Onofre down, you know, downwind. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of spots. I mean, all over the eastern seaboard, uh, you name it. J- Japan, I mean, there's there's tons of spots to go and catch a little wave and feel like you're surfing. Uh, if you want to get into it, well, that's the pecking order that we all have had to go through. Long borders, boogie borders, short borders, you name it. They've all had to go through the pecking order and learning etiquette and getting chewed out, uh, maybe beat up, <laughs> who knows, but surfing is a different world. And that's why 15% of all Santa paddlers are surfing. Yeah. I just wonder if the, there, when, as a surfer, as you approach a new lineup, and especially in a place where you don't see a lot of standups, the stereotype of what stand-up is is going to be more in line with the flat water paddling and i think that's a barrier to entry that someone who wants to approach surfing at like i'm looking at this as i believe that the the next big group of stand-up paddle surfers are going to come from the world of surfing i think that the stereotype of stand-up hurts that process because there's the 
there's a peer pressure almost in the surfing community because I mean I've got a long shortboarding uh, history and I've got shortboarding buddies that still there's the stigma associated with stand up. I wonder what it's going to take for that stigma to go away. I think that guys, the new pros, the the Mo Freitas, Kyleni, Zane Schweitzer, you could the list goes on. Uh, those guys are tearing it down, but it's just not getting out there. The surfing community is not seeing that side of the sport yet. What do you think about that? Well, I think I think when the guys that you're probably talking with when the sport started about almost 10 years ago, they were probably eight years old or 15 years old or whatever, and that's that's that makes sense. You know, when I was a young shortboarder, I. You know, I didn't even like to have a, a longboarder or, worse yet, a, a sponger or, you know, a boogie boarder uh, out there uh, if he's catching more waves or whatever. But as we get older, we look at guys like Jerry Lopez, Mike Doyle, uh, Corky Carroll, who used to just diss on sup heavily, and now he's totally into it at his house in Mexico. I mean, we can go on and on and on about East Coast legends, West Coast legends, uh, Australian legends, Matt Young, I mean, you name it, Tom Carroll, all these guys. I mean, stand up. I, one thing I know, young surfers revere their history. And when they see one of their heroes from history out there stand-up paddling and doing it well, not just, you know, not just dropping in, but actually making turns and, and uh, moving the paddle around, you know, it, it, it gained some street credibility. They did Columbus at the best. If you're going to go out and you want to you, you get waves, you have to rip on the first wave. You know, you have to really lay into a bottom turn, hit the lip, and then, you know, trim down the line to, to get somebody's attention. And you know what? You may still not do it. But like you said, Mo Freitas' board is actually smaller than a lot of the middle-aged guys fun boards and semi-long boards out there. You know, I mean, he holds it under his hand, under his arms. You know, the guy is just a sinewy little, just as Kai is and some of the other guys, uh, they're they're leading the way. And it's, it's just going to take time. You know, I'm 59 years old, and, um, you know, when I was 25 or 30, I probably would have had a different attitude about it. But, you know, I uh, you, you nailed it when you said that the sport is going to – uh, the surfing part of stand-up is going to come from the surfers. You know, would you have told me nine years ago that Tom Carroll was going to just completely shred on a stand-up board and that he was going to really, really push the edge and design his own boards? No, we would have, I don't think we would have had a clue. But that's what's become, and that's – I could go on and on and on and on, and we all know the many, many names of – not just the older legends from the 60s and 70s, but we're talking – 80s, 90s. I mean, Joel Parkinson, you know, is he shredding out there on the stand-up board? Well, he does ride stand-up boards. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. And the brand, the new, the new, uh, you know, is John John going to be riding a stand-up board? I believe he already has done some of it, but he's probably uh, doesn't want to see any of his friends, doesn't want his friends uh, catching him right now. That's kind of where it's at when you're that age. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem, though. I think the problem is the fact that there's probably a lot of closet stand-up surfers out there that uh, that are just kind of a little bit of don't want to do it around their buddies, and I think that that's the wrong attitude. I mean, it's a more difficult sport done at its highest level versus surfing. Not in the technicality, technicality of surfing, especially air variations and all that gets incredibly technical and extremely hard. But 
-hmm. same maneuver on a stand-up versus a shortboard is more difficult on a stand-up. So we touched on some of the young guns in the sport currently. Who do you think is going to carry the torch over the next few years on the surfing side? Uh, boy, I'm really impressed with Mo. Um, Mo Freitas has got a great family background. His dad, uh, Junior Tony Freitas, is a... Uh, is right there with him, and there's so much parent support with all this. Uh, the Lenny's, Martin Lenny, Paula, uh, uh, but you know, Kai is is here to stay. You know, there's no doubt about that. Kai's rides it all. He kites. He he uh, he, he was proning at, at Jaws two years, three years ago, uh, as well as stand up paddling. So he's got a lot of street cred, and that's that's the guy you're talking about. Guys like Mo and, and Kai. Uh, you know, they really, you know, there were 75 guys lay down prone surfing at Jaws on that huge swell uh, three days ago. And there was, I think, about four or five that I know of stand-up guys. And two of them were 22 to 24 years old, Mo and Kai. And uh, Mo is, I believe he finished third on the world tour this year. Um, so, you know, He's he's knocking on the door, and you know I think we can watch him. He rides 22 inch wide boards, which is ridiculous to even think about. Not only that, but you've seen how thin they are. He was he stayed at your place. I mean those boards weigh nothing, and I know Kai's is probably about 22, 23 as well. So um, you know these guys are these guys are acrobats to be able to do that. Uh, you know I I see I see. Other young guns coming up, uh, women getting better. I know Tom Survey had mentioned something that was really, and Tom, you know, Tom's girlfriend used to be Lisa Anderson. He followed the women's circuit uh, in extensively. Tom mentioned something to me last year that was interesting, uh, having just watched the Huntington uh, Beach uh, Pro um, that Tristan uh, Botchford does. Uh, he told me the guys are really pushing it, and they're they're really advancing the sport at a rapid pace. You said, I'm kind of surprised that the women in stand-up surfing are not as high a caliber overall. And he used surfing as an example. He said, Clay, you know, now today in pro surfing, the women are just about as good as the men. They're pretty much right there. I mean, they're smooth. They're they're agile. They're they're, they're they know when they're, they're locking into a lip. They uh, and they 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 have it down. He was kind of surprised that the women in stand up aren't there yet. I had to remind him that the women really, first of all, Candace was in the very first year that Tristan uh, ran the, uh, the 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 world tour in 2010 was the first year. Um, yeah, it's sunset, duck, triple overhead, incredibly big. Candace was out there going for it. Then they, the women were not involved with the stand-up world tour wave activity until, gosh, was it last year? was the first year they actually came back. So, um, and, of course, Fiona Wild uh, from Oregon uh, was out there charging, just like Candace had been uh, four years, five years before. So, we're going to see people we don't even recognize right now as, as leading the way in another three or four years. But for now, for sure, Mo, um, you know, you could go down a list of uh, the people on the uh, stand-up world tour 
women and men. But like I said, I think Tom Survey had a really important insight in that the women uh, are going to come around, but at this point he felt that they still had a little ways to go to, to catch up. Going to be interesting to see how someone like a well, you've got Izzy Gomez uh, who's killing yeah. it, but her brother Giorgio is. Yeah, uh, Colin and I have chatted about this a couple times on the show. I think Giorgio, from what I've seen, there may be someone out there that I don't know, but from what I've seen, Giorgio is the best shortboarder in the stand-up world. And he and we got to surf. I you know we did two weeks with all those guys down here. I got to surf with them every day. Uh, right. He doesn't complete as many maneuvers as a lot of the guys yet, but when he's doing uh, the biggest maneuvers, they're they're probably the most radical, and his style is incredibly fluid. It's going to be fun to watch him yeah. and that marriage of shortboarding and stand-up over the next mm -hmm. year as he refines that, and now that he's on Infinity, and I think he's going to be getting incredible custom boards. I think he's somebody to really look out for, and that's going to be fun. Really fun yeah, to no, watch. Giorgio's right up there. I mean, uh, I believe, gosh, what did he finish? 15th overall? I, I, I think he was 15th uh, on the world tour this past year. And, uh, you know, with Dave Bainey's uh, under his wing there, I think uh, Giorgio's going to be able to design his own very specific custom boards, and uh, that will make a big difference for sure. Oh, yeah. His, uh, his surfing is so I mean, smooth. I mean, you got Sean Pointer. Sean's been so consistent. I mean, yep. he was 20th. In 2010, he was 20th. And what, this year, he's in the top five. And he's been uh, he's been very consistent for three or four years now. And he's expanding in all directions. And uh, so, you know, we see, we see so many guys in the surfing world leading the way. Um, and I, you know... The, he he rides for Starboard. Starboard, I think there are nine windsurf companies that have stand-up boards at least. And they, you know, as you know, because the and I, we both come from the surfing world. Twenty years ago, I would have told you there's no way in the world that there's ever going to be mass-produced production surfboards that are going to be popular. Because that just wasn't how it was done. Uh, you just you had a, you went to the shaper, you laid out a, a template, and you said, "This is what I like, and I like the fins here, and I like the rails like this, and I like it this wide, and this is the kind of uh, waves I ride." And of course, the shaper is the guru, and he chimes in and and uh, he gives input. Well, lo and behold, today we have companies like Starboard, Nash, uh, Fanatic. I mean, my gosh, imagine. All these companies that are that are uh, making production boards that really work, yep. and they're lightweight. Many of them are carbon. If you want carbon, uh, so this is helping uh, because the windsurfing industry. This is the reason why stand-up paddling is already where it's at. Is because these boards don't have to be made one at a time. They're made all all together in in big batches, and that's because. 99 because the uh, windsurfing industry had evolved to that point. Yeah, you know, I think it's great on the whole. The technology is amazing. I do question whether or not it has stifled uh, evolution of the sport a little bit because you don't have the same iteration of ideas going on as you did with the custom surfboard shape. 
custom surfboards went through this custom shaping to refine exactly what it was going to be for decades yeah. and now there's mass-produced boards but those mass-produced boards are iterations of refinements that have happened over a long period of time in the stand-up world you basically had some people come up with ideas that are good but it's taking a year i've talked to some of the starboard guys and some of the other guys about it's about you know a, a couple variations per year versus you know a, a surfer working with the shaper and so i wonder if you're going to see some of the top pros and i don't think that that matters for anybody except for the top 40 50 people in the world but i do well, no, no, I, I disagree with you it does matter to those people eric but there's a ton of guys that do want a custom shape they've been around a while they know what they like giorgio and even I, i'm not talking about the old salty dogs like me i'm talking about 19 year old giorgio gomez he wants a custom board. Oh, yeah. He doesn't want a board, not only not only custom design, but custom look. He's an artist. And, um, uh, you know, and you can find that. Now, Hobie, Hobie has now evolved. They have their own, uh, it's called um, the performance division or the, the performance line, where you can get a custom board from about three or four of their top shapers. Um, so they've developed that, which is really smart. And most of the, uh, most of the, um, not just the well. There's a lot of custom boards out there that you can have made. There's tons of great shapers, and you can work with them. And you know, again, Hobie's one that's actually taken this production company that Hobie has, and they've got another division that is just making custom boards. Yep. So they cool. are anticipating what you're talking about because not just the not just the top guys in the world want that. Uh, a lot of people want their own personal board. Yep. And I have uh, I work with Colin and have. My favorite board right now is a uh, 7526 Hobie. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's a beautiful little board. I love it. Uh, we touched on the Waterman League. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Waterman League, the events that they're running, the future of that? I know that this year a couple of events were canceled. Uh, how do you yeah. see the future for the Waterman League? Well, it's my hat's off completely to Tristan Botford. Uh, I've run major wintering events, uh, and I uh, absolutely know how difficult it is to make the sponsors happy, to get everything taken care of for your athletes and make sure they're happy and and compensated. And then guess what? Everything's done right, and it's flat. So, you know, so I think that's why Tristan evolved to the, the World Series so he could get, make, get, make, get some racing going so it doesn't matter if it's flat. But, and I do, my hat's off to, to my hat's off to With Tristan that? because he is one of those guys really carrying the torch for the sport and what he's doing is great for everybody in the sport. So, it's uh, very difficult. It's, oh, very it's difficult. gotta be. I, Super tough. I don't know if it, need, it needs more money or what. I know that uh, some of the guys were complaining that they didn't get their, their checks in time, and I think he's still taking care of that. But it, it's very tough. It's it's such a tough deal. The sport's so new. Uh, you can't really go to a Chrysler and say, you know, we've got a, a wave sand-up paddling wave series. Will you sponsor it? When they have to first learn about the sport, it's like you got to – it's like back in the old days when I had to explain to everybody, and so did you, and so did all of us, uh, what is stand-up paddling. Now, because of guys like Tristan, we have something. 
you know, I, I always tell our writers uh, when they ask uh, what the story should be, I say send it, and then we have to start with something. And then when you get something, and Tristan has given us something, so we have something now, and historically in the surfing world, the ASP and other, other uh, tours over the years in surfing have evolved based on how pissed off they were at the previous circuit and what they were doing wrong. Little, that, in other words, everything plays off everything else. You know, is Tristan going to continue to grow what he's doing? Is he going to just maintain for a year? And that's good. That's good if he can just maintain it. I mean, Sapinas in uh, Point is an incredible venue. I hope they can get that uh, continued. Um, Brazil's been difficult because of travel and, and, and all that. But, um, you know, Francis has been an absolute uh, fabulous uh, venue. And Huntington Beach, literally, there's crickets. You can hear crickets. And you would think that a world-caliber stand-up paddling wave event at Huntington Beach California would draw thousands of stand-up paddlers, but it hasn't been the case. It's it's more of a big-picture thing. That's the power for Tristan is we're all watching this on his streaming videos when they work and when they come through. So it, it's a tough go, and he, he everything all credit to Tristan for what he's done and for the support that the companies that have supported him and the, and the, the athletes, and let's see what happens this year. What have you heard about the season? Anything yet? Well, no, I've gotten the press releases, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna watch. And I think the, it's almost like you know, the first. You always want to make sure your first wave is is a really good one. I learned that from Sean Thompson years ago in a Surfer Magazine editorial. Make sure your first wave is good. If you eat it on your first wave, it sets a bad tone for the rest of the day. Well, let's see how the first one goes, uh, which is coming up, and we'll. Um, you know, we'll see how everything comes together and who shows up, and and uh, hopefully that will set the trend and uh, keep the momentum going. Because it's really important that we have a wave circuit. There's so many races out there, but there's not many wave circuits. There's only one. Yep, that's true. We do some video contests here that Adams helped out with. Uh, which I think is a, a good thing, but uh, the the actual events are, are on a whole different level there. Mm-hmm. So forecasting forward, it seems like you were right eight years ago on your thought about the surfing side only being 15% of the sport. What do you see five years from now and 10 years from now for the sport? Uh, well, that same ratio should hold. Um, I, I don't know that we're going to get more stand-up guys in the waves except as the 35-year-olds today start turning 45 and 55 and 65. Uh, and, they, and they realize that uh, it's kind of cool to be able to see all six waves of a set at once, which blew my mind the first time that ever happened to me. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool experience to, to have to pick which of the six waves you want to go for. Um, but uh, I just see it going in five wonderful different blossoming directions uh, just like the petals on a flower, they're all uh, linked to the middle. But yoga and basically fitness, not just yoga, but, but fitness uh, on a board, uh, that direction. Uh, fishing is a smaller but still very viable and popular area. Um, distance and adventuring, 
uh, and that includes what I would call ultra marathoning, which those guys are nuts, and I hit my hats off to them. They go 100 miles, and uh, and then there's in the same category, of course, is, is the uh, self-contained trips. We have a story next issue uh, by Cassie Renowski from Vix, uh, Vix Sports. Uh, she and her friends paddled women. They all paddled down the 250 miles of the Connecticut River uh, over a four- or five-day period, climbing rocks, because she's a rock climber, uh, as they went, and camping out at night, self-contained. And uh, we see more and more of that. Um, of course, the surfing side, and then there's just having fun. There's just paddling like Joyce and I do every summer day when it's not too windy yet. We go out from our beach here in York, Maine. We paddle about five miles out to the lighthouse and then around the corner and up towards uh, a little tiny beach called uh, Short Sands, and then around the corner beyond that to some friend's place. You know, you stop and get some water, have some lunch, and paddle back. And uh, it's just awesome. You can see starfish, you know, where you live. My gosh, you see even more. And um, that's the sort of thing that will always dominate the feel of our magazine. You know, Stand Up Journal does not do gear reviews. We don't do equipment tests. Uh, we don't do that sort of thing because we have only so many pages, and we're going to devote the fun part of the escape of stand-up paddling in all forms. Well, we love what you do. Uh, we appreciate it. And thank you very much for being a guest on the show, Clay. Uh, I look forward to meeting you in person here soon. All right. Can't wait. Hopefully it'll be at your place with a nice uh, southwest swell peeking into your beach there. Hey, we're about to announce dates for... June and July. There's be one at the end of June and then two or three in July. One of them is definitely the 16th to the 23rd. So pick one and come uh, down, man. That'd be fun. Okay. Sign me up. All right. Cheers. Okay. Thank you very much, Eric. Have a great week. It's the Paddle Podcast.